you hear me okay with where the mic is? Okay, great. Tonight I'd like to offer you some reflections on a foundational piece uh, that, that I found really quite helpful for both for retreat practice, especially long retreat practice, and for daily life spiritual practice. And kind of following on the heels of Tori. Tori, thank you for getting us going with these foundational pieces. And just a reminder of Tori sharing us with us about generosity in the context of this retreat with this overarching quality of gladdening the mind. And so this important piece of uh, uh, that we're involved in this incomparable goodness, which I'll come back to that she mentioned. And also, which I hope to come back to, is uh, I I loved how she clarified, like, can you be aware of the expectations that are there lurking in the background as we begin this retreat? And the foundation I, I want to share with you is the place of being passionate, being motivated, passionate about your own unique connection with this path and this practice. And hopefully through this um, also, you'll get a a sense of the the passion I'm talking about here has a different flavor than often what we're used to, but it has similarities to maybe how you understand this word. It's really learning this art of being inspired on retreat and keeping that going. You know, when I'm passionate, when that's alive in my practice, it's like I'm deeply touched in a way that that keeps the fuel going for my practice. And when you think about the the story of the Buddha, remember, so the story goes, what was the beginning? Remember the beginning of his journey? There he is. He's at the palace and he leaves the palace walls. He goes beyond them to a radically different world, a different life, setting off into a simple, austere life. And when I slow down and I imagine that drastic change for the Buddha, I think to myself, that, now that takes a lot of passion a lot of motivation to begin such a journey and to continue it to its end. And quite honestly and similarly, you know, as you were coming in and settling in here, Really, when I look around at all of you in this room right now, I mean this, I'm I'm moved by your efforts and your energy to get here and to engage in this retreat. Putting things in place to be able to step out of your daily life, whatever that is. Maybe you need to set aside certain daily responsibilities, maybe work responsibilities. 
And I know there's even some of you here that have made radical shifts in your life to make the Dharma more central for you. And when you hear this, you might feel like, ah, you know, it was nothing, like, whatever. <laughs> I'm here, like, it wasn't that bad. And, and yet when I slow down with this fact, I, it feels like it's an expression, it's a testimony to your motivation, to your, what I would call, passion for this path and this practice, however you understand this path and this practice for your own heart. And I want to point out, this is a rare thing in the world to have such motivation to do something like this, like a longer retreat, this three-week retreat. The Buddha said there's uh, four extremely rare things in this world. The first one, to be born as a human being. And then on top of that, the extremely rare thing, the second extremely rare thing is to come into contact with spiritual teachings that free the heart. That's really rare even today to really be exposed to that. And then the third rare thing is to actually engage in that path like you're doing. And then the fourth rare thing, to fully awaken. (laughs) You got three weeks. (laughs) So right, here's this motivation that, that not only being exposed, but here you are. There's something so special about that. And I find for myself, I can overlook these beautiful qualities of my heart that are right here. Can you allow yourself to be moved by your own heart, by your own motivation? Because maybe you're like me. You can be like, ah, it was nothing. And then I, I undermine this really sweet quality of my heart, and I don't completely take it in. So this is an invitation. Really, a lot of this talk is just to, to honor, to celebrate this quality of heart that's already there. If it, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't there. I remember seeing the striking stone carving that comes from uh, uh, ancient Gandhara. Ancient Gandhara was uh, kind of what's uh, kind of where Pakistan and eastern Afghanistan are now, and it's a visual depiction of this time of the Buddha, of the Buddha leaving the palace. And in this depiction, what strikes me is, is that the Buddha is being carried, right, supported by these guardian devas, these guardian deities. He's on a horse and they're, they're lifting the horse so that it can move forward. And, and the Buddha is surrounded by all these de- de- deities, you could say, that support the Dhamma. And the reason I, I love that is because when, uh, for me, when, I, when, I, when my heart and mind are in deep alignment, kind of 
for my passion, with my passion for this path and this practice, with my motivation, when, when the heart and the body are aligned with that, it feels like I'm being supported and carried along this path. And another word that the Buddha uses around passion, I feel protected when it's really there. And this is what I, I want to share with you is to, to sense into the kind of protection that you can get just from your motivation for being here. There's a potency to it. That passion, that motivation. And at times it might feel like you're being supported or carried along. And that's another facet, I think, to the sense of like, oh, it's nothing to get here maybe. Yeah, it was difficult, but... You know, I did it because it feels like we're carried along by something greater, much larger, larger than just you and me. Another reason I wanted to share with you these reflections is for me, when... I'm aligned with this motivation. And of course, remember this retreat, right? You're not, it's going to happen a lot of times where you're not. The motivation's not going to be there. The passion is dry. And yet there can be times where you feel that and it can, it can give me a sense, you know, in that sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm down for whatever happens on this retreat. You know, and, and I'm mentioning this now because, because settling in, you know, it, it's so interesting when I reflect back on retreats, there's been such a wide range of experiences of what it's been like to settle in. Sometimes I come on retreat and it's like, wow, I'm home. And some of you have maybe experienced this. It's like, ah, oh. and there's a relief in my whole body. And other times I'm just looking for that relief, <laughs> right? That's all that's there, looking for it, wanting it. It's my expectation that Tori was talking about. I'm feeling restless, right? I'm around all these people. And now there's the, 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 the second quality of we're masks during a pandemic, right? That, that hits the heart, especially when we're starting to become more and more sensitive, at least for some of you, not all of you. And sometimes it can feel like, What's going on here? I'm, I'm on retreat. This is a, I look around, it's kind of safe, and yet my system isn't feeling that. So I just want to normalize that. That's, that too is settling in. That's what we call settling in on retreat. <laughs> and if you are experiencing that, just an invitation, can you start to feel the protection of your motivation? To align with it. To feel like, oh... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, it doesn't matter what happens on retreat. I, I, I hear I have my motivation. It will be my protection. For me, it feels like the, I'm wrapped in a blanket by the, the, the Dhamma. And it's helpful, whether it's warm or cold or whether I feel healthy or that health condition is coming back again. Whether it's the loud yogi sitting next to me or being the loud yogi and being nervous about the people around me. <laughs> the sleepiness, the mind lost in thought, the aches and pains. Ah, yeah, but I'm here. I'm, 
I'm surrounded by the Dharma. Here's my motivation. Here's my passion for this path and practice. And when it's when it's there's a skillfulness with this passion, it directs the mind and heart into right here, right now. Whatever that is, a sensation right now. The breath that you're feeling behind that mask. (laughs) The heartbeat, warmth, coolness. That directing right here, right now. And this is what's important is to be in contact with that and to learn how to nurture your passion, your motivation for this path and practice. Because it's potent. It can deepen this path. I want to share with you a quote attributed to the French author um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the people to gather wood, divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. This makes sense, right? If you want to build a ship, right? Don't do that. Don't drum up the people to gather the wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn. To yearn for the vast and endless sea. Can you learn to yearn skillfully on this retreat? To yearn for the vast and endless sea? that calls your particular heart on this path. This is the the key word, skillful yearning. To, To touch into the potency of that passion. To be inspired, to be motivated. And I want to acknowledge this is a tricky territory to learn to yearn skillfully. Because there is a whole art to landing passion or or motivation skillfully. And why is that? Is because it's so close to craving. Notice that? (laughs) Boy, I think I spent years (laughs) just as a Zen monk exploring that. Boy, I knew how to strive, learning to yearn skillfully. Whew. I don't know if Zen practice was the best place to learn that, but <laughs> there were some good things that came out of it. So I, I want to take some time just to slow down. Like, how are these similar and how are these different? Craving and passion. How do they fit onto this path? So some time for clarification. And first of all, I I want to share with you the Buddha points to this flavor of 
skillful passion or wholesome desire in really interesting ways. Like there's this uh, one quality, Dhammachanda. It's one of the idipadas or spiritual powers. And Ajahn Suchito says about this wholesome desire, this Dhammachanda, it's, a, it's an eagerness to offer, to commit, to apply oneself to meditation or the path. It's a psychological yes. So wholesome desire in this way. Or another Pali word that we find in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Atapi, usually translated as ardent or passionate. You might even know this phrase. A practitioner abides contemplating the body as a body or abides contemplating mind as mind. Ardent, fully aware, and mindful. This quality is interwoven into what we're learning here. It's interwoven into the quality of mindfulness that we're wanting to learn the skill of. And yes, I'm going to be pointing out there are really different flavors to this particular flavor of this. But it's interesting that the Buddha is using these words, don't you think? And even a little bit more extreme. This is, you know, this is so interesting. He has this, uh, also this uh, compound word, Adama Kama. So there's Kama, right, which is karma. But Kama is sense desire. And so he's talking about the practitioner, Bhikkhu Dhammakamo, so the, the bhikkhu or the practitioner who desires the Dhamma. Such an interesting combination of words. That's why I always think, man, the Buddha, he, he wasn't a scientist, he was a poet. <laughs> the way he uses words in this way. Right? The practitioner, a practitioner is one who desires the Dhamma, as he says in this passage, greatly rejoicing in the higher Dhamma and higher discipline. And the fact that the practitioner is one who desires the Dhamma, and it goes on to say, that is creating a quality of protection, just as I was pointing to. Isn't that interesting? And then again, it's a little wild here, Dhamma Raga. Some of you might know this Pali word, raga, lust. And it's through this very dhamma raga, dhamma passion, that one finally actually achieves full awakening. What's up with this? Huh? What's he getting at? I think he's asking, can you, can you learn to yearn skillfully? This is what can really drive the engine of your path and practice, your retreat practice, and it can protect you when there's difficult times with the anxieties, the fears, the frustrations, the anger. To yearn for that vast and endless sea that calls your heart. So there is a, a place where the, the Buddha is talking about passion, just to be clear about that, because this is something that a lot of practitioners don't know about. 
So now, how is this, these phrases I've just been sharing with you, how are they similar and how are they different than craving? So let's first look at how it's similar. What we call skillful passion or wholesome desire and craving. How are they similar? You could say there's a pull, there's a draw to something that is not here but over there. That's how craving or or desire works. There's something over there, not here, it's over there. Literally or metaphorically. And it's that draw to over there. They both have that quality. Like for Dhamma Chanda, the, the Chanda, I think in the commentaries, it's like a hand reaching out, reaching. Yet wholesome desire or skillful passion is different than craving because it's a draw, it's a pull to over there that brings me here, that pulls me down to here, now. But it's like that opens up, there's an opening to deepening right here, right now. And maybe you felt that. If you notice when there's motivation to practice, it's like, oh yeah, just this step. Oh, the, the warmth of the cup of tea. Oh, there, there's a little bit of irritation. Oh, there's a little bit of tranquility. Right? The sensations on the bottom of your feet as you're walking down the hall. Right here, right now. And the, the motivation is aligned in this really soft, gentle way just to be here. And craving, you probably know, right? There's the pull to over there, and then here disappears. Maybe you've noticed that. The mind that's already planning or figuring out or thinking about what's going on back at home. The pull. And then here disappears. And again, sometimes it's metaphorical, or sometimes there is a kind of contracting or shrinking that happens in the body, or a kind of leaning forward. So an example of this, just to give some imagery around this, it's like the classical, you could say, archetypal image. I want to get to the top of the mountain. I have a passion for reaching the top of the mountain. And it's a sense of this passion for the top of the mountain that gives each step a fullness to it. It's like I want to be there for each step. Because each step was intertwined with the nature in reaching the top of the mountain. There's presence, there's patience. And it's, there's this desire to learn the art of carefully stepping and being with each and every step. Right? The, the heart's alive with getting to the top of the mountain, but it brings me right here with each step. You're hearing some of the qualities right now of this passion that I'm talking about, these particular flavors, right? There's patience. There's got to be ease, relaxation, and yet diligence. Craving. Yeah, I want to reach the top of the mountain. Yet all I can think about when I'm hiking up the mountain is that I'm not at the top of the mountain. And it bums me out. It's a drag. I want to be at the top of the mountain. And I wish I was there. And then here-ness disappears. It shrinks. 
I don't want it or I want it to be different. This makes sense. You know what I'm talking about? Experience a little bit of craving, a little bit of motivation. And this, this is in itself, if you were to spend the entire retreat just getting a feeling for both of these, just checking out what craving feels like. Oh, interesting, it feels like this. There's a tightness, there's a leaning forward, there's a, there's a kind of a contraction that happens in the heart. Ah, oh, but when I, when I feel the passion, my motivation, there's an aliveness to be right here with whatever's arising, even if it's craving. I want to check this out. There's a curiosity there. And also in that contracting, and I think Tori was kind of pointing to this in in her description of expectation, which I so appreciated, is there can be a demand on what is right here, right now. A demand that it's different. Like I'm demanding that I feel more settled, more safe, more here at the beginning of retreat. But actually what's right here? Restlessness. That's the nature of craving. It's, it's in contention with what's right here and right now. Which hopefully you've noticed, it's a drag. In other words, that's suffering, right? <laughs> And this is so tricky because passion or motivation can fall over into striving, which is a kind of craving. And this is why there are these elements that are so important into this particular flavor of dharma passion. There has to be a softness, an awareness, relaxed, easeful. I I can't emphasize enough how important relaxation and ease is on retreat. So relaxed. So easeful. Yes, and diligent. It's like water. Water is so soft, right? It bends with everything. You think of a, a stream of water. It's really quite gentle and relaxed. And yet it's persistent. And with that persistent quality of like a stream, it wears away the hardest of rocks. It's potent. That's the flavor. That's the flavor of passion that we're looking for, that we want to refine. Are you hearing how this flavor of passion, it's a skill It's a skill that our heart needs to learn to, to really get a, a taste of this. So that's craving. I want to talk a little bit more now, a couple more steps in these flavors and what it feels like to be at passion in a way that brings you into right here, right now. And I want to give uh, an example of this, an, an analogy from a different part of my life that hopefully will reveal some other qualities here.
So in my late teens, early 20s, I played the piano. And uh, my, in kind of my early 20s, that, that's when it ended too. It disappeared after that. Yet when I was playing, I loved it. I was so passionate about it. I had gone through this mixture of playing the clarinet and the piano. And I had this inspiring and wonderful piano teacher. I just, even to this day, I'm so grateful for the things he taught me. And it was his enthusiasm for music, his love, that was so contagious when we got together. And I remember he uh, he assigned me this uh, music piece. It was a piece for solo piano by uh, um, uh, uh, Francis Poulenc, his... Uh, 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 trois pièces, his three pieces. And this piece by Poulenc was uh, way, way over my skill. <laughs> it was tough. It was really difficult. And um, I thought he was crazy to give this to me. He's like, why are you giving me this musical piece? Like all the things they're doing feel like they're in my range, but this one is definitely not. And and his enthusiasm of like, yeah, that's right. And so I still want you to practice this and to learn how to practice this. And what I realized, it felt like, you know, when I look back at that, he was saying to me, I want you to fall in love with the process of practicing the piano instead of grasping for the outcome. Can you fall in love with that? And this piece, this piece is going to teach you that. Because it required so much patience, sometimes just to get through one bar of, of, of the music. I had to be so kind to myself. And diligent, yes. And it's like when I think back at that, I can, I can hear him, can you fall in love, Brian, in this way? To really fall in love with the process, the process of practicing. Because right? if I'm too focused on the result and not the process, then I lose it, I get frustrated. Can you have passion in this way? Can you be inspired to be on this retreat in this way? Can you fall in love with this path and this practice? To fall in love with the process of the practice. Don't worry how it's going on retreat. It's really not worth worrying how it's going on retreat. All that's needed is to be on retreat and to fall in love. Really, when I slow down with this, when I really get a sense of what's important about long retreat, to me, this is the most important thing. 
this is my wish for your retreat, that you fall deeply in love with the process of this practice. I mean, seriously, who cares what happens? Because the mind gets so hooked about how it's going. Is it going to go good or bad? Is this going to be worth my time? But to set that aside, to allow the heart to fall in love. I think that's, that's the true gift of retreats. That's the gift of a lifetime. And hopefully you're hearing in that when things get turned like that, do you hear the protection of that? Because sometimes what happens on retreat, there's, I, I sometimes come in where it feels like I start to make this world where my practice is so fragile as if I'm going to lose it. And, and I can s- stop being relaxed and easeful. It's like I need to make it happen or be mindful. Rather than tapping into something that's more organic and natural, like as Greg said that very first morning, this quality of natural awareness, just easing into that. And the sense where I have my eye of just, I need to fall in love with that, there can be an ease there, a relaxation, a a softness like that water I was talking about. And lastly, uh, one thing in the analogy of the playing piano, I, I want to point out that this is a kind of learning. I'm going to be motivated and passionate. It's going to be alive and aligned at times. And at times it's going to stumble into craving and striving. And that's the only way to learn it. Just as when I'm learning music, most of the time I'm going to be making mistakes. And somehow... I don't know where I got this mind, this idea that when I come to practice, I'm going to either be getting it right or wrong. <laughs> and what does that do? It, it undermines the whole idea of a learning process. A learning process is made of mistakes. So I want to normalize how practice unfolds in this way. So being passionate, being motivated. I think it's important just to take a little bit of time to reflect on what inspires you to be here? What motivates you to be here? For your heart in particular. And I I mean this, seriously, I think this is important to really sense into, to feel into. What's inspiring you? What's motivating you? We're all going to die too soon. This is such a precious opportunity. What's the motivation here that's really a jewel? 
and so potent in these ways I've been pointing to. And for some of you, what motivates you, what inspires you, what speaks to your heart might be some of these classical Buddhist kind of aspirations, whether it be awakening, the end of stress, a a heart that's no longer filled with reactivity, that's, that's no longer oppressed by greed, hatred, and delusion. And from that, there can be this, this passion, like, I don't want to be in bondage to the unskillful habitual tendencies of this heart and mind. I want a heart that's free, that can freely be kind and compassionate and filled with appreciative joy and equanimity. Oh, I want that. I have a passion for that. That's the top of the mountain. And it's going to bring me right here, right now. Or maybe the aspiration in this realm of awakening is for embodying a different way of being in the world. Or an aspiration to practice for the liberation of all beings, not just human beings, also the more than human world as well. All those different species of of life out there. So maybe your inspiration or motivations like that. What calls your heart as we begin this retreat? And and please don't worry if it fits into all this weird Buddhist jargon. (laughs) It's it's important to touch the language that's going to speak to your heart. Don't worry if it's a kind of languaging that's unique to you to honor that. What's important is is to get in contact with that. Maybe it's to not be as oppressed by all the self-critical thinking, to have more joy in life. It could be as simple as just the aspiration to be more present, to be here for the remainder of your life. Or maybe it's to allow your heart to feel a sense of belonging on this earth. To love yourself or dispel hatred. Just to be a bit more settled. Or maybe you use entirely different language. It's to touch that which is sacred to you or what you call divine. Or maybe it's just a deep love for the Dharma and practicing. That your aspiration is to be Dhamma Dasa, right? A servant of the Dhamma by practicing moment after moment. Or the aspiration to support a different world to emerge. One with less suffering, less oppression. To touch that, what is your inspiration, your aspiration? And even more importantly, can you reflect on it in a way that you feel moved by your own heart and your own motivation and passion? 
This is the skill to be moved by our own hearts. And then can you allow it to bring you right here, right now? As you're walking down the hallway or up the stairs or opening a door or feeling the worry or aversion or the joy, to have it fuel that. And I want to point out when I'm inviting you to touch this every so often on your retreat, it's not about something dramatic in the foreground, but something in the background of your practice that's just there. That reminds you to be patient and soft like the water, to relax and be easeful because you're motivated, you're inspired, you're passionate about this. And yes, there's the uh, a class, the classical aspiration, which I, I do want to come back to because I think it, it, it's important. Which is, I think, summed up by this uh, these words of the Buddha, where he says, "Here, practitioner, a wise person of great great wisdom does not intend for their own affliction, or the affliction of others, or." for the affliction of both. Rather, when they think, they think only of their own welfare, the welfare of others, the welfare of both, and the welfare of the whole world. It is in this way that one is a wise person of great wisdom. to have the aspiration, the motivation to practice for yourself and others. We're in this together. And for me, it's been so important to have this, this sense of why, why I'm practicing. It expands what I'm doing here. Yes, I'm practicing for myself and I'm practicing for others. It's this realization and acknowledgement that I am intertwined with you. You are intertwined with me. We're intertwined with this earth and this world. It's not just about me and my life. Our liberations are intertwined. And later on in, in Buddhism, this is this called this quality of bodhicitta. I think it's most uh, eloquently put, so beautifully put by the great American poet Gwendolyn Brooks in her, her, her poem about Paul Robeson, who was a, a great political activist and actor and singer. And he's, she says, we are each other's harvests We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond.
Now, some people can have feelings of being selfish, of being selfish that 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 get kind of conflated with being on retreat. Like, oh wow, this feels so selfish. And what I want to point out, it's impossible for it to be that way. Right, Gwendolyn Brooks. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. We live in this interconnected world. As Tori was saying, there's incomparable goodness that's coming from what we're doing here. A wholesome impact. And yeah, I want to be clear. I, I want to be at least honest about this. It's not going to cure all the ills of the world, but I feel like it has a positive impact what we're doing here. And it's, again, helpful for the hard times for me to switch around this way. And the way I switch it around is I see my practice, the aspiration for me is that it's an offering. A passion to make a beautiful offering to this world through my practice every day on retreat. Whether it's a moment of presence or equanimity or kindness or compassion. I remember when this came to me, I was when I, when I was a Zen monk, I, uh, whew, I think the, the darkest times of my life happened when I was a monk. And I was going through those, one of those times, it was, uh, I don't know how to put this, it's kind of the I suck state of mind, you know, that was state of mind. <laughs> it's like everything I do seemed to be a testimony, I have everything I get it wrong, I'm a horrible person, I'm not enough, and this one incident is the thing that shows me again. And I turn around to this thing. Oh, here it is again. And oh, it was a bad place. And I, I felt like I couldn't crawl out of it. I don't know if you've ever had those, that darkness where it's just like, man, I know I am stuck in this and I have no way out of this. And it felt so global. I felt like I was what I was breathing. And, uh, oh boy, I was having a hard time. And, and luckily, actually, I was in the kitchen. I was cooking. And finally, there was a, a time where I was like, well, I, I can't practice. Like, I suck at this. But it, it feels good to be able to offer some food to practitioners. Wow, this is, this is good enough. And it was really the gateway into something different for me. Because there is something so beautiful about offering, especially offering food. It, it, it helped me climb out of that. And then it, it started to spread. It was like, then when I got out of the kitchen, it was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to sh- show up. I don't know what's going to happen in the meditation hall, but I'm just going to show up for the community. Okay, I'm not cooking, but this is my meal today that I'm offering. Oh, I'm going to offer my silence Oh, I'm going to offer my participation. Oh, yeah, that, that's all I'm going to do. That's all I can do today. Oh, and maybe I'll offer a moment of presence or a moment of tranquility. Just a moment of the willingness to be with the physical pain or the difficult emotion. It was so helpful to have that frame 
And I think so much of it at the beginning is like, there could be this thought of like, what am I going to get out of this retreat? What am I going to get out of this lifestyle? What am I going to get out of this practice? And yet when it was an offering, it was like, every day was a good day. <laughs> Just need one moment of being mindful. <laughs> ah, here's my offering. Just this. So I invite you to play with that. What's it like to offer your practice? To set aside what you're going to get. It is good to, of course, that we're doing this for ourselves, but to offer. And you can make it so simple in terms of this. You could have either at the beginning of your day or the beginning of each sitting or beginning of morning, afternoon, just to put forth an altruistic intention, something simple. May, may my practice today go for the benefit of all beings. May it be so. That took me less than five seconds just to go through that. But I find when I repetitively do that, especially on retreat, that's the thing I love about retreat. I'm coming back to that again and again. It shapes my heart in a particular direction. It refines this skillful passion. May this go. May this go for the benefit of all beings. And not to worry if you're feeling it or not. It's the repetition. This is how ritual works that can be so powerful. So again, skillful passion. Can you fall in love with the process of this practice? To have that at the foremost. With this quality, this this quality like water, so soft, persistent, relaxed, easeful. To contact your motivation, your aspiration, your passion in a way that brings you to here, to now. And if it fits for you to have your retreat be an offering, offering to all beings. So thank you. Thank you for your attention. I'll just sit for a moment here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.